Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, and it says this, reading from the English Standard Version. It says this, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mountain of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? Let me tell you, when you're on assignment from God, there'll be people that ask you, what are you doing? Are you losing your mind why are you following this path keep on pressing ahead and they told them what jesus had said and they say and and they let them go and they brought the colt to jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it and many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields and those who went before and those who followed were shouting hosanna Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father. Oh boy. Time out. This is going to be a key verse. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Father, speak to us boldly powerfully and strongly through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. At this point in the gospel of Mark, we're entering into something really significant. You see, chapters 1 through 10 describe Jesus' earthly ministry. Chapters 1 through 10 describe three years of Jesus' ministry on this earth. Chapters 11 through 16 describe one week Jesus' last week on earth. See, 10 chapters are devoted to three years versus six chapters that are devoted to one week. And everything has been leading up until this moment. Jesus entering into Jerusalem to be God's one and only spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world. See, this is the climax to his story of redemption of mankind. And at first glance, everything seems to be in line with what should be happening. Jesus was entering Jerusalem to die on the cross. He was the Messiah that had been promised for centuries. Finally, there would be salvation for his people. Having the benefit, however, you and I, of knowing the end of the story, we all know what's happening. But a crowd, the crowd at least on the surface, seemed to kind of grasp the concept. And so they start shouting at Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna, meaning save us, rescue us. It all seemed like the proper coronation for a, a King Jesus. And the crowd loved him. They loved him so dearly. They were passionately singing and worshiping him. But how many of you know? That when people think that you're going to go with the grain of what they want to do, they'll praise you. And the second that you have a word that moves in the opposite direction, they'll begin to shout at you. The same people that lavish that praise on you will also shout at you. 
And it probably looked like a worship service here at Risen King Church. But there was something deeply wrong that was going on at the center of this all. And by the end of the passage, the crowd dispersed. And just in a few days, just a very few chapters later, we will see this very same crowd shouting. But instead of shouting, Hosanna, they will shout, crucify him. Why? We need to ask ourselves this question. Why this crowd that shouted, Hosanna, Jesus, save us. They were worshiping Jesus. It probably looked like a Pentecostal, Holy Ghost filled service as Jesus was entering into Jerusalem. Why? What's going on at the deep seated root heart level? What's going on below the surface? You see, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the crowd thought he was finally accepting his Messiahship. And that he was going to destroy and conquer Rome. He was going to kill all their enemies and establish an earthly kingdom. And then they were crying out, Hosanna. They didn't have their personal salvation from sin in their mind. They had a national restoration. They had the thought of a political revolution. See, this had been the messianic hope of the Jewish people all along. So when they saw that Jesus wasn't going to give them what they wanted, they realized that he wasn't the Messiah that he'd be waiting for. And they dispersed. And they turned violently against him. When you see a crowd, however, responding in this way, when you read this chapter, what's your response? Do you get disgusted by this? How could they ever do that? Or do you think that that could ever be you and ask God for mercy? Y'all, some of you guys think that you guys would have been entering with Jesus into Jerusalem. Like you guys would have been one of his disciples. Like you guys would have been with him until the end. And some of us don't realize that we are likely the people in the crowd that shout Hosanna in one moment and are willing to flip and shout crucify the second. You see, throughout the Old Testament, we see the Israelites constantly not getting it. They constantly complain. They constantly don't trust in God. Not realize what God had done for them. In the New Testament, we see the disciples constantly failing over and over again. Arguing about who's the greatest while Jesus is about to go on the cross. And our first response, really, if we're looking at the Bible and we're seeing the attitude of the disciples is going... What are you guys all stupid? You're dumb? You guys don't get it? If I would have been there, I would have gotten. But then the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts. And what we realize is us too. We do all those same things. And the reason that it's written down is so that we can see that history hasn't changed much. So that we can know we do the same things too. You see the crowd was worshipping a Jesus of their own making. They were selective in their scripture reading. Picking and choosing for themselves the aspects that they liked about Jesus. You see they liked all the prophecies about a promised one coming to establish a kingdom and to rescue them. But they didn't like Isaiah chapter 53 where it explains him doing this by dying and suffering. It was against the paradigm of the Jewish thought to believe that their Messiah would suffer. He was supposed to rule. He was supposed to reign. He was supposed to conquer. 
Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses, forfeits his soul? Oh, they didn't like Jesus saying that. It went in one ear and out the other. I wonder if this ever happens to you. Jesus just said, if we want to follow him and live, then we need to die. If we want to keep our life, we have to lose it. It goes in one ear and out the other because it is against our paradigm. You see, for the Jews, it was against their paradigm to have a Messiah that was not going to establish an earthly kingdom. But for you and I, it's against our paradigm to have a Savior who isn't going to make us happy and give us what we want. Isn't that modern Christianity? Ten steps to unlocking God's blessing over your life. Seven steps to God answering every prayer that you have ever said with yes. We don't know. We don't know what it is to serve a Jesus that says no. And I'm not saying that Jesus will say no all the time. I'm just saying we just don't get this concept. We have not been educated in this realm of things. And so when things go against the grain of what we want, of what we desire, it upsets our sensibilities and we question whether Jesus is around and when we become really frustrated by the situation we begin to create our own version of Jesus that is palatable and that fits what we desire for our lives so how do we know we have a Jesus of our own making we will praise him but we'll never suffer for him we will live for him without dying for him We will read the scriptures without ever truly obeying them. We will always seek to be happy in Jesus without ever denying ourselves for Jesus. So are you worshiping the true Jesus of the Bible? Are you worshiping a Jesus that you made with your own hands? Have you created a Jesus that makes you feel better? A therapeutic Jesus. See, living in this world is hard and and bad things happen. And you need a Jesus that comes along and reassures you, it's okay. I'm in control. I love you. And this is really the one area that I am personally guilty of. When bad things happen, I immediately tell myself, it's okay. God is in control. See, the problem is, is often we disguise our weaknesses with great faith. If I'm honest with you, it's not necessarily great faith. It's actually apathy. See, I tell myself these things because I don't want to care. I don't want to have to feel what I'm feeling. And I don't want to have to mourn with those who mourn. So I take a little dose of my therapy, Jesus, so I can numb out the pain and not feel the fact that this world is broken. And that I'm called into this broken world. How many of you feel what I'm, you, you, you understand what I'm saying? You get it. You've been there. You, you don't want to go through the trial. You want Jesus to save you from it. Jesus is telling you he's going to give you grace to endure it. He's not necessarily going to take you out of the situation. He's going to give you the grace to be able to endure it. 
You see, Jesus is absolutely in control, but he was willing to feel and experience pain. He was willing to suffer and to weep, and he calls us to do the same. We ought not to use the sovereignty of God as an opportunity not to care, to numb our feelings, to stop us from experiencing pain in our lives. We need to be Christians, the most deeply caring people on earth. Or maybe you're more of the persuasion that you like Walmart Jesus. Have you ever created a Walmart Jesus? He's a place you go to get all the things that you want in life. But if he doesn't give you what you want, the husband or the job, then no big deal. You just look for another savior, anything else that will give you what your heart really wants. See, the true Jesus will not give you what you want He'll give you what you need, even if, that's the, even if that's at the cost of not giving you what you want. Or maybe some of y'all like attorney Jesus. Have you created the district attorney Jesus? Your own personal attorney that will go after all the people who are making your life miserable. The true Jesus will not only point out the wrongs and sins in the hearts of others... He will also point out the wrongs and sins in your heart. He's not only offering you forgiveness for those sins, but he also offers it to your worst enemies. Those who've done the most harm to you. Or maybe you guys want to be in a beach somewhere. I want to say sipping pina coladas, but I know that's going to get me in trouble. Virgin pina coladas. At the beach somewhere. And you guys want to be relaxing at a beach somewhere. And so maybe retirement plan, Jesus, is really what you like. Maybe you've created that retirement plan, Jesus. You'll pay your dues. You'll tithe faithfully. You'll read your Bible. You'll go to church. You'll do everything as long as Jesus will give you heaven at the end of the day because you've earned it. The true Jesus says that our righteousness is but filthy rags to him. And if we're going to make it to heaven, it won't be by our merit. It's going to be by his. So are you worshiping a Jesus of your own making? Or are you worshiping the Jesus of the Bible? George Bernard Shaw said this. God created us in his image and we decided to return the favor. I'm going to repeat that because I want that to sink in to your spirit this morning. God created us in his image and we decided to return the favor. So how do you know who you believe in? See, we don't need a savior, friends, who is a product of our own wants. We do not need a God of our own making, one we've created for ourselves as a coping mechanism so that we can live in a world that causes us to suffer. Does the Jesus you worship ever contradict you? Because one of your own making will never contradict you. They will never correct you. They will never expose sin in your life. You see, he looks like you because he's made in your image. He will want the same things that you want. He will let you stay exactly where you are and you will be miserable in this life and you'll be miserable in the next. The true Jesus will contradict you. When you're hating someone, he will stop and heal you by saying, no, forgive as I have forgiven you. When you're going astray and you're going down a wrong path, he will say, no, that is not my way. That is the way that leads to death. 
come follow me. You see, only the real Jesus can change you, transform you, and ultimately fulfill the deepest aspects of your life. W.H. Auden, one of the greatest English poets of the 1930s, went back to Christianity after being an atheist. And his friends asked him why. And he answered, I believe in Jesus because he fulfills none of my dreams. He is in every respect the opposite of what he would be if I could have him made in my own image. He's saying that he read the New Testament and Jesus is not a savior that anyone would have ever made up. He contradicts what we want. He defies our expectations. He is the opposite of everything he would be if we could have made him up. Therefore, he is real. So what's the hope, Pastor? If you're struck like I was, and instead of seeing yourself as a disciple that was entering in with Jesus, you now realize that you are more part of the crowd What's the hope for people like you and I? Because we just don't get it. We're selective in our embrace of Jesus. We love singing, but we reject suffering. The good news is Jesus didn't go to the cross for people who got it. He went to the cross for people who totally missed it. See, the true Jesus rescues us from the Jesus of our own making. How does he do that? Go with me to Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 42. Here's what the scriptures say. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. As he was hearing the praises of his people, he knew he would soon hear them yelling, Crucify him. And so he wept. These tears should not be interpreted as Jesus wanting to love his people, but they won't love him back. These tears are the tears of God's divine mercy because he has every right to destroy them completely. But instead of doing so, he's about to go to the cross for them. Let me just share with you what's going on right now. With this man that we call Jesus. See this offer of kindness and humility is the reason we see him riding in on a donkey. It's a fulfillment of a 500 year old prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. Rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt. The fall of a donkey. You see by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's saying he's the promised king that's coming to Jerusalem. He's also saying that he is the king that won't fit into any of their categories. You see, the king that they had in mind would come in riding on a war horse. The donkey was to demonstrate humility and divine condescension. The same picture of why Jesus was born into the world in the first place. It's God humbling himself, taking on the likeness of a servant. This is the wonder of Jesus as our present king. So for now, Jesus stands before his church. 
a meek, lowly, and forgiving, patient person. He is a king that saves sinners. He is the king that offers amnesty and pardon. It is only for now though. Because there's coming a day when the kingship of Jesus will look much different than it does right now. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. Those are crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is, a ro- he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. For from his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written king of kings and lord of lords Instead of a donkey, Jesus will come on a white war horse. Instead of forgiving, he will judge and he will make war. Instead of being low and meek, his robe will be drenched with the blood of his enemies. When the kingship of Jesus appears in the sky, it will be too late to switch sides. Paul contemplates this brief window of Jesus' kingship when he offers pardon and amnesty. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You are living in a season of wonder. Because Jesus is offering his forgiveness now. But he won't always. He's offering salvation now, but he won't always. Let's not regard the kindness of the riches of God lightly. It's this kindness of God that is inviting us to repent from worshiping a Jesus of our own making and to begin to know and worship the true Jesus, the real Jesus. You see, if we repent and submit ourselves to the true Jesus, we'll be able to take part in a better gathering of people in the days to come. Y'all know we don't gather here. This is just practice. This is practice. This is practice for Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 through 12. And after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Oh man, this brings the story all back together. You see, it was Palm Sunday that they began to shout Hosanna in the highest. And it's where Jesus begins to wrap this story up together. With palm branches in their hands. Crying out loud in one voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the it is the first time that humanity will actually get it right and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they all fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever amen 
And so who, who are these people clothed in white? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They're the ones coming out of the great tribulation. These are the people who have submitted to the one true Jesus. These people suffered much. Submitting ourselves to the true Jesus in this world is going to be hard. It may mean hunger, thirst, or being scorched by the sun. It will mean suffering, pain, sorrow, the loss of wants. You know what Jesus said? Let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said, I've not come to this world to bring peace. I have come to bring an enmity between father and sons and mothers and daughters. In other words, some of this will cost you greatly. It will cost you some of the greatest relationships that you have if you are going to follow the one true Jesus. But as hard as it may be to submit to the one true Jesus, I promise you that on that day when a great multitude is gathered and a people from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue are shouting salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Not to the foreign gods. Not therapy Jesus. Not Walmart Jesus. Not attorney Jesus. Not retirement Jesus. Authority belongs to the one true Jesus who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let me explain to you something. Here's the difference in between the Jesuses that you've constructed and that you serve. And the Jesus that the Bible speaks about. Only one who sits on a throne has authority. All these fake, busted up Jesuses that we've constructed constructed out of our own mindsets they have no power to do anything for you sooner or later the mirage the image the daydream the illusion that they have us in will break and we will realize just how truly broken we are the angels you imagine that just just close your eyes if you could for a second seeing everybody people that you don't even know people from uganda zimbabwe people from haiti brazil colombia people from russia afghanistan uzbekistan people from the the ukraine and and italy and france and the uk and germany people from madagascar people from all over the world will be united together in one moment where God will create one church and one people and where the angels will shout back amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God you will not want to miss that that is one church service that you are going to want to be a part of In Revelation chapter 7, verse 16 through 17, as I ask the worship team to come forward. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away 
every tear from their eyes. As you experience the hand of God, wipe away every tear from your eye. And all the suffering, pain, and sorrow, and loss of wants of this world. In that moment, it will all be worth it. Everything that you've suffered, everything that you've gone through, in that moment, it will all have been worth it. Would you rise to your feet? Let's pray. God, we're we're guilty. We're guilty of not seeing the images that we have stood up on the altars of our heart instead of placing you on the throne. We've lifted up family on the altars of our heart to the neglect of your kingdom. We've lifted up our own therapy and our own emotional well-being in exchange of your glory. We've thought you were a genie that could answer and always commit to a yes to us. We thought that we could work hard and that we would merit our own righteousness and own salvation. See, the problem with idols that we've built in this day and age is that even you can't see the idols that you have built up in your life unless you go through a saking and they are surfaced and exposed. I pray in this moment for the anointing of the King Josiah. You know what? He was the youngest king in all of Scripture. You know what Josiah did? He busted down and broke down all of the high places and all of the altars. I pray in the name of Jesus that there will be a busting down and a breaking down of every altar that you have constructed in your life that is contrary to the word of God. I pray for the mighty sword of Josiah to come down from heaven and to just eradicate and destroy all of those altars that we have built up in our hearts that are contrary to the one true God. We want to get at not what not what's going on in the surface. See, there's things you don't realize why you're angry, why you're upset. You know, I've been angry at my wife before. And I've been angry at my kids before. And I've been angry during seasons in my life. And I became upset when the doors kept on closing on me I really wanted this military thing the doors kept on closing and shutting and shutting and shutting and shutting and shutting on me and I would get angrier and angrier and angrier and I would talk to my wife and say I don't know I don't I don't get what's going on in my life I don't understand but you know what here's the thing 
it was never the military it was never real anger with her it was never real anger at my kids it was anger because I felt that my sufficiency came from a place other than God and there was something deeper that was going on there was a value that I had placed on this thing higher than God and when I finally began to realize it that's when God opened the door to let me go back in you see the thing was the military became my idol but that wasn't what was really going on what was going on is that my sufficiency was found in something outside of Christ and so I don't know what you see going on in the surface what is around you I'm gonna pray that God would dig this thing up from your life and would begin to reveal it expose it so that we can tear it down together in the name of Jesus and so father in the name of Jesus begin to surface Lord Jesus break Lord Jesus break 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 Lord Jesus begin to break the walls that we have constructed around our insufficiency be be able Lord Jesus in this moment to break down the walls that we have constructed Lord Jesus around our shame break down the walls that have surrounded our lives that have placed us into a state of guilt break down the walls of the past Lord Jesus and hurts and wounds and I pray in this hour that you would expose everything that is contrary to your word to your spirit and that it would come crashing down that in this moment chains would be broken eyes would be open I pray in this moment that as the apostle Paul had an encounter with the Lord Jesus and the Bible says God blinded him and he had scales on his eyes and when they began to pray for him the scales began to drop and fall from his eyes and he finally had been able to see what he had been doing this whole time Lord in the name of Jesus break down scales from our eyes so that revelation can come forth Break down scales. Let them fall from our eyes so we can see clearly, God. Break down these altars. Break down these altars that we have constructed, God. So that we can be free. 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 I pray freedom in this house there would be freedom in the power of your presence and the power of your Holy Spirit all over this place God we don't want to stay the same we want to do the hard work of analyzing our lives so that true freedom can break forth so that new wine can be pressed and so that we could walk in your blessing in Jesus' name Amen